Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Pastor Pat Milligan and his wife Tammy. Pastor Pat is former pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now here's Pastor Pat and Tammy. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your love and that you are the one that can help us to have a happy home. And we just pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us as we discuss these most important subjects. Just send your spirit to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have one question, and this is, how do you handle a situation when the two of you disagree and you know that you are right? Now, I said the other day at a workers' meeting, I do my greatest sinning when I'm right. <laughs> yeah, because see, when sometimes when you think you're right, you can come across as a little bit superior or arrogant about you know, the fact that, well, you're wrong and I'm right, you know. And that's kind of what happened, you know, in Christ's day. The Jews thought for sure that they were right, and here they were all wrong. And they were so arrogant and pious, and then they ended up crucifying their own Messiah, you know, which is really sad. I think there's a good answer, actually, to this oh, question. Give it to us, honey. Well, I would say if you can master the art of fighting fair you will have accomplished a lot in your relationship. I had a dear uncle who told me one time that he and his wife had never had a fight. And I said, well, uncle, that's because you and I aren't married, because if we were, we'd fight. (laughs) And it truly was because she wouldn't fight. There was nothing in her to fight, you know? So how to fight fair? If there's one tool that we have shared in our relationship series that we've done together, This is the favorite tool. And if you want to take notes, listen to me. If you do this, it will work every time. This doesn't just work for some people. You know, there are some principles in these relationship seminars that just don't apply, right? Because they don't apply to us. Then there's other things that really apply. This one will apply to everyone, I promise you. So uh, it's called the five-minute rule. And some of you have definitely, you could probably repeat it because you've heard me share it. But in the five-minute rule, the reason it's called that is because Generally, one person in the couple have a tendency to have more words than the other. It may be male or female. Oftentimes, we women, we have a thousand words to a man's one. (laughs) But it's not always the case. There are sometimes the man that has a lot more to say. So the five-minute rule gives a nice reprieve for the person who's worried this could go on for a long time, right? So that's why it's called the five-minute rule. I'll give you an example. This is a true story, okay? So my husband and I were having people home for Sabbath dinner. We were going to have a weekend of events. We're going to have people over Saturday night. We had a whole list of things we're going to do for the weekend. So ahead of time, we both work full time. We're both busy people. We had a plan about who would do what chores. Okay. So we had it all planned out. My husband will tell you, I'm a lot more of a clean freak than he is. I'm picky about that. Now he's very particular about messes. Like if something gets spilled, Like he doesn't like spots or stains or all of that. But when it comes to tidiness, I'm Mrs. Tidy and he is Mr. Piles and Stacks and 
Of course, they're organized and he knows where everything is. But it kind of gets on my everlasting nerve. So we had this plan. So in my mind, I want you to hear me. I definitely feel like that I was the one who was way more focused on how the house should look than he was. Now, again, part of me is telling myself a story because I will tell you this. He is very aware of how important it is to me that things be neat. So, but I can tell myself a story that he's not. And this is how the story goes. So we go to work. I come home, I walk in the door and not one of his chores are done and I'm running late. So I get out of work late because I had a patient at the last minute I needed to deal with. And so I'm stressed and I walk in the door and he's not there and things are not done. So immediately I tell myself a story. It goes something like this. See, it's just not that important to him. If he really loved me, it would be really important to him that he would do this. And we agreed and he did not hold up his end of the bargain. And now we're supposed to have people over and look at this house. And I am just really working myself up. And I might be being a little dramatic, but depending on the day, I might not be. So, you know, I'm stressed in my head and he walks in the door. Do I not have lots of precious things to say? (laughs) Right? So I say, Patrick, he said, wait, wait, honey, can we do the five minute rule? Now, I will tell you that usually if you learn a tool in a marriage enrichment seminar and you play it on the other person, it doesn't go over well. But this one does because it's so great. Wait till you hear it. So the five-minute rule, and I said, absolutely, I'm all in because it goes like this. Wait, before I roll it out, what is the one thing that we want more than anything in an argument? To be heard. That's right. So both of those I would say, but honestly, The best thing is I want to be heard because to whoever's point who wrote that question, when I feel like I'm right, I want to be heard, right? Okay. So in this point, are you with me? Am I right? So far, I've got some righteous indignation going on. So he says, you can go first because he can see I'm bubbling over, right? And so in the five minute rule, I have five minutes. Now we don't time each other because honestly, we both don't wear out the patience of the saints. We get it done in less than five. But in the five minute rule, I get to talk first, right? Because he said, you want to go first. My job is to talk in ways that I do not use you statements. You always, you never, I can't believe this. Not nothing inflammatory. I use I statements. This is how I feel. My job also is to not show disrespect, not in my words and in my attitude, you know, and my job is to speak very calmly and respectfully. His job in the five-minute rule when he's the listener is to not roll his eyes, sigh loudly, show disrespect by body language. But the biggest thing that's a challenge is he does not interrupt the whole time I'm talking and he listens to understand and not to make a rebuttal. (laughs) So instead of planning his attack, his commitment is to listen to me, to strive to understand. So I say, honey, we had this plan. I was going to do X, Y, Z. You were going to do A, B, C. And and, and look at, you know, we have a deadline to meet. We have to have this done in a very short time. And you haven't done anything on it. So when I walk through the door, I just feel like, do you really care? Did you remember our plan? Now I'm stressed. I'm coming in late too. I'm going to be lucky to get my part done. And then we have all these people over. And you know how important it is to me. Because when they walk through the door and they see the mess, they don't think, oh, that Patrick Milligan's a bad housekeeper. You know, it's going to be more of a reflection of me. And so I'm really stressed and I just don't know what happened. He goes, okay. 
And I come up for air and he says, are you done? He's very respectful. I say, yes, I, I think that's it. So then he says, honey, I get it. You walk in the door. He said, but I will tell you this. I got called to the ED at the emergency department. He's a chaplain there. So I got there. I spent two hours there. I left there, got home, literally drove in the driveway, got another call to the ER. I went, literally walking out the door and another one came. I have truly not been home five minutes, but I'll tell you what. I think that if you and I both hit it right now, we can get it done. I'm like, okay. And then we did it and we got it done. But do you see the difference? If I'd have lit into him and then he's been stressed because he knows he's got a lot to do. And then he would have lit into me back. We would have been having a very cold reception to all of our guests. Oh, welcome. Oh, don't mind him. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever done that before? It wouldn't have been pretty. So the five-minute rule is delicious because really and truly, it's all about how to have a conversation where we've never had to go back and forth. You can. Like when he's done, then I go back. But usually once I'm able to say everything I'm feeling and own it, and then he's able to explain or say everything, there's an aha moment. Okay. How does that answer the question when you have two disagree? Mm-hmm. and that you know that you were right, have you fully answered the question? Well, I think I've answered it the best I know how, and that is that to be listened to completely. When mm-hmm. I feel like I'm right, and you give me the courtesy and the respect okay. to really okay. listen to me all the way to the end, and then I listen to you all the way to the end, the right will come out. Okay. Well, let's go through the 10 biblical rules for a happy marriage, and then we'll close with the four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse. Okay. Okay. So number one, never bring up past mistakes. Stop criticizing others or it will come back on you, Jesus said. Now that is really easy to do is throw up the past because you don't think they're going to change and you're just waiting for them to make a mistake. But they've been good for a year and, you know, so that could really be hurtful. There's really a beautiful quote that I love in the book Gospel Workers on page 479, and it says this, the very act of looking for evil in others develops evil in those who look. By dwelling upon the faults of others, we are changed into the same image. And I think to myself, if I focus on all Pat's shortcomings or past hurts, I can become a very miserable and resentful an ugly person. I can become the very person I'm accusing him of being. But the other thing is, we've all thrown up the past in each other's face. I think we could all admit at one time or another. But it's so hurtful because what it does is, as Pat is, God calls upon him to be the spiritual leader of our home. And if he throws up my past in my face, I really begin to wonder if God's the same way. Every time I make a mistake, is God going to say, oh, and by the way, don't forget about what all you've done in the past. But my Bible tells me that God chooses to forget. He chooses to erase my sins, cast them as the east is from the west, put them in the depths of the sea, and he chooses to forget them. Is that not beautiful? Amen. And I need for Patrick to forgive me for the times I've been sarcastic, disrespectful, rude, hateful, whatever. And I need a new beginning. And so does he. And I think if we are committed to have a healthy, happy home, we have to make a decision not to do that. Number two, 
neglect the whole world rather than each other. And I've heard stories, and I think it's somewhat true, that when men are courting their wives, they will go the second and third mile to really bag the buck. You know? The dough. Yeah, the dough. Not the buck. Not the buck. And so they'll put on the best cologne, and they will just wine and dine and smooth talk these women and just show them affection and love like never before. But once they bag her, then the wives sometimes are perplexed and they don't understand. Well, honey, you seem to be spending more time hunting or fishing or whatever than on me. And I don't feel like that you love me anymore. And the husband's like, no, that's not true. I we, told you when I first got married, I loved you. And if I changed my mind, I'll let you yeah, know. Yeah. And what happens is men just go on with other projects because they've kind of conquered this one. And now we got to get that eight pound bass, you know, or the, you know what I mean? Or the 12 point buck. And so the women sometimes get frustrated. Why do you spend so much time? Well, it's not because they don't love you. It's just that men. They've it, moved it's, on. It's kind of like a one track mind. They focus on this. They conquer it. Then they come over here. They got to conquer this. Now, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but in some ways, this kind of is true. Would you ladies sort of agree? Okay, I see some heads. You know, Yeah, but then sometimes it gets so bad that the woman is like, yeah, go ahead and go fishing, because then pretty soon we're hurt or we feel isolated enough that we've turned to other interests as well. Okay. Well, that's not good. No. Okay. So, in other words, we need to Keep up the early affections, you know, the way we treated them when we were, you know, dating. We need to keep that up, right? Yeah. My wife is my best friend. My girlfriend died yesterday, and my wife let me have this girlfriend, and it was Bruce and Holly's dog, Josie. And yesterday I was very broken and kind of tearful because this dog was special. You just have to get to know this dog to know what I'm talking about. And she said, honey, what's wrong with you? You're going to make this really hard. And I said, honey, my girlfriend died. She said, your old girlfriend, Marcia, died? And I said, no, Josie died, (laughs) the dog. And that was the only girlfriend that my wife let me have. That's right. (laughs) But she was special. No, but where was I going with that? I don't know, but now you made me cry. (laughs) Well, I was going somewhere with it. No, I know what it was. I know what it was. My best friend is my wife. And I have other friends. But she knows that she's my best friend. And that's the way it should be, is that our spouses are our best friend. And what does that look like? I think to just say really briefly, so last night, I mean, it really ruined Pat's whole day. He was just really upset all day, just very sad. And he was even surprised at himself. You know, he said, Tammy, I can't wait for heaven. So last night, he was just kind of blue when I, I got home from work. And I said, let's go for a walk. Well, my husband's favorite thing is not to walk. You know, he likes to play basketball and stuff. But I love to walk outside in the (laughs) snow and the cold. But it was especially warm yesterday. And so I thought, oh, this will be a good night. He'll go with me. So I said, honey, let's go for a walk. He said, oh, Tammy, I'd just rather not. He was laying in front of the fire. And, you know, I just didn't say anything. I was like, yeah. So a few minutes later, he said, you know what? If you really want to go, I'll go with you. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a small thing, but it's all those little things that make up a special thing in a relationship. He knows how important it is to me, how much I just love. It's a stress reliever to me to get out and walk. And he was willing to. And I said, you know, I know you're sad. I know you're having a hard day. We won't tonight. And so we didn't. 
But I do love when he goes the second mile to do things for me that he truly wouldn't necessarily enjoy as much as I do, but he does them for me. And then that way we can do things together and it draws us closer. So be careful not to get in a rut where you're just doing things that make sense for you. Go out of your way to do those special attentions, like you said, that we used to do together because Mm -hmm. we just love being together and then we can kind of take each other for granted. Number three, now I struggle with this one. Now my wife doesn't. But I struggle with number three. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. Never go to sleep with an argument unsettled. And the Bible says, Ephesians 4.26, don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So when if we get into a fight, we don't get into them very often, but when we get into an ugly one, you know, I need a little bit of time to get over this. In other words, I just can't get over it right then. So not too long ago, we had an ugly one. Like we can truly go years, not years and years, but years. I can't even remember who started it. I even forget what the argument was about. But anyway, we got into it and he's the type that absolutely needs time. And I kind of do hate that because I like to work things out. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Oh, I can fight, but I can love him in the middle of the fight. I love to tell the story when you were shaving one time, and it was Sabbath morning, of course. I love what Doug Batchelor said. He said, my wife and I really do well at our arguments. He said, we choose the best timing on the way to church or when we're really exhausted at night. But anyway, and I remember he would open the bathroom door and say something, and then I would walk over to the bathroom door and open it and say my two cents, and we were going back and forth. And I opened the door, and I said, I love you. And he said, how can you do that? Because I really can just adore him in the middle of a terrible fight, but he doesn't feel that way. So anyway, we argued and we went to bed upset. That's so hard on me. And I made him promise a long time ago he wouldn't punish me that way. That would be mean, right? To know that your partner really has a hard time handling that and you do it on purpose. It wasn't one of those situations, but he just really needed time. But the longer it went, the next day it drug on. And I texted him the first day, wanted to talk. I ignored, no response. I ignored her text. <laughs> I called him. He ignored my call. So That woman um, needs to be punished. <laughs> that better not have been your motive. <laughs> anyway, so then it went on. So now we're talking day one, night, day two. And by now, and I'm praying this whole time, Lord, humble my heart. Lord, help, you know, and I'm even worried about his day. You know, Lord, I don't want him to have a terrible day, even though he's being stubborn. I know, please be with him because I know that if we're not happy at home and his whole life is doing ministry, that makes it hard to be out ministering to others when you've got some issues you can take care of yourself, I would think. Anyway, so by that night we go to bed and I am just, you know, blankets are in between us. I am not, because I'm getting angrier and angrier. The longer it goes, the less compassionate I am toward how he might be feeling. Well, see, now I'm starting to get to where it's about time to reconcile and let's kiss and make up. Now she's like, you have drugged this on. And now I'm angry. Yeah. 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 So we go to sleep and I go to sleep literally in the middle of praying about this. And I wake up in the night, and he's cuddling up to me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Because I'm angry. But it was an answer to prayer. It's 1 a.m., and we talked for several hours. And we talked it all out. And out of that, we made a pact once again that we would not let it drag on. And he gave me permission to say, no, 
we're not going to bed till we sit down and we talk this out. Because it wastes precious minutes, hours, and days of your relationship that's so miserable. So don't sull up and keep it in. If you need time and the argument was in the daytime or whatever, say, honey, I need a break. And my friend was telling me the same way. She said, my husband's the type. He says, look, I can't do this anymore. But they've agreed on the right words. We talked about earlier about the right words. And he'll say to her, I want to talk this out, but right now I need a break. Can we talk about this tonight? When I get home, we'll have supper and then we'll go for a walk and we'll talk this out then. For a person like me, I can handle that because I have a date. I have a time. I have an end time. She loves when, dates. When we're going to get this yeah. talked out. And so that way it also can come to a close. Yeah. So we like to share transparently with you our struggles because we know that you, we're all very much alike. So if we can share openly how we have come through things, maybe it can be helpful for you. We all have a beautiful Christ-like nature. And then we have that little Hitler, right? Right. We all do. Right. So we just have to subdue little Hitler and we have to feed that Christ-like nature. We have to ask God for help. Yeah, that's right. Because otherwise our pride is too big. That's right. Number four, at least once a day, try to say something complimentary to your spouse. Mm -hmm. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit, Proverbs 15, 4. Now, it is true, and we all have relatives, or at least I do, and some of my relatives have developed habits, and these habits are, they just automatically kind of say negative, sarcastic things to other people. It's just a habit, you know? Instead of saying something nice and kind and sweet, they have not developed that habit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's a critical spirit. Yeah, and it's just a habit. And even though they like the other person, they just have to kind of come across in a negative, sarcastic. Have you ever met people like that? Am I the only one that has relatives like that? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, and let's think about this too. It starts between your ears. We talked earlier. Mm -hmm. Do you tend to criticize people subconsciously or in your head? You just kind of size people up, you pull them apart, you just have critical thoughts toward them. Some of us struggle with that more than others. I was talking to my baby sister the other day on the phone. I said, you know, Angel, growing up, I just feel like we grew up in such a great home. Our parents gave us such great role models for life. But I do feel like we had a tendency to kind of pick people apart. And I know that mother was always wanting to show us the positive and the negative, things to avoid, how you can learn from other people. But I said, I think that that's a really critical spirit, and we need to be careful that we're not doing that. If you want to, you can find the negative in everybody, right? You can pick people apart where you don't even like them anymore. But do we look for the best in each other? Do we look for the good? Do we believe only the good? If we hear something bad about someone, do you choose to believe it? Or do you choose to say, "Mm, I'm going to hold the jury out on this one until I get to know that person? How many times I've been wrong? when someone confides in me hot and heavy about some other person, then I meet up with the other person and they tell me, they just happen to mention their side and I'm like, whoops. So it's not helpful either to take sides and those kinds of things. But I think we should pay attention to our thoughts, allowing the Holy Spirit to help us to focus on the positive. Number five, my wife loves this one. Never meet without an affectionate welcome. Oh, this is her love language is touch. She loves for me to Touch her and kiss her. That's right. Kiss me again and again. Your love is sweeter than wine. 
Song of Solomon 1, verse 2. I could have written Song oh, of Solomon. Oh, she likes that, yeah. <laughs> so I know that before I leave, I need to go in and give my wife a, a kiss goodbye. You know? Even though he just did when he woke up, he comes and finds yes, me. Because... Yeah, most of the time, yeah. Mm. Number six, for richer or for poorer, rejoice in every moment that God has given you together. And I like what it says there, Proverbs fifteen seventeen. A bowl of soup with someone you love is better than a steak with someone that you hate. In other words, I would rather be poor and be with my wife who I know adores me and loves me and thinks the best of me than to be with someone that all we do is just, uh, yeah, she's from Venus and I'm from Mars or whatever, and bicker and fight and not be happy. I would rather be with someone that is my best friend. And so I'm glad that verse is in there. It's true. What is it that makes life sweet? Yes. You know, what are the best things of life? It isn't stuff. No. The only stuff that honestly makes life sweet is a nice, warm, comfortable bed and a hot shower. Other than that, all I need is Patrick. <laughs> well, and Jesus, honey. Don't forget yes, about yes. Jesus. That's but right. I'm talking about in this <laughs> yeah, life. Right. What makes this life sweet? <laughs> that's right. It isn't a lot of stuff. It's just a few that's comfort right. things. Okay. Number seven, if you have a choice between making yourself or your mate look good, choose your mate. And I think my wife does that a lot. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. And we need to talk about this one. Okay. We need to talk about this one. I will tell you, I'm going to make a blanket statement, and if you disagree with me, I'll be happy. But I believe human nature is to be critical. I think we naturally have kind of a critical nature. And I also believe that we admire things about each other, and we see people that we admire things about them, or we work with people, and we don't say a word. And I love to share the story about the lady I went to her funeral. She was this quiet little woman in the community who did wonderful things for people, and she didn't need to be on a stage, and she didn't want people to notice her. But when she died, everybody came to her funeral and stood up and shared about how wonderful she was. And I sat there and got angrier and angrier because I knew nobody had said those things to her when she was alive. And then as I was leaving that funeral, it was like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, did you ever tell her any of those good things? And I realized I was guilty. And I made a pact with God, Lord, by your grace, I will tell people what I appreciate. I'm not talking about flattery. For some reason, we almost think positive things are flattery. No, flattery is when you flatter someone or tell them something good because you're manipulating them or you're wanting something from them but to sincerely appreciate one another. I love that. I love to tell the story about literally almost running into this woman in Myers when I came around the corner with my cart. She just looked up and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I noticed how beautiful she was without even thinking I said, and you are so beautiful. God must have had fun making you. I don't know why I blurted it out, but I did. And then she looked shocked. And then I felt uncomfortable. And I said, And I'm happily married and I don't want anything because I thought, how does this look, you know? And then we both laughed because it was getting more awkward, right? And I just kind of needed to get out of there. And I said, you know, I just made a pact with myself. I tell people what I admire. And I said, the voices in our head are not always positive. And I want you to know that you really are a beautiful woman. You just really do glow. And then I was ready to leave. And as I turned around, she said, excuse me. And I turned around and she said, you will never know 
how much I needed that today. So I just believe that we as human beings, God gives us divine appointments every day where we run into people that maybe look very put together, that you may think that they never need an encouraging word, and that's not true. When we recognize and admire in each other wonderful qualities and characteristics, we should say them. Let's speak them to each other. Sometimes my wife will say, honey, do I look good today? I'll say, yes. And she'll say, well, why didn't you tell me? I said, no, I'll say, honey, how do I look? He'll say, oh, honey, you look beautiful. Did you notice? Oh, always. Well, then why don't you say anything? I just did. I just did. I'm like, no, I need you to say something when I'm not prompting you. I need you to notice me. You used to notice me. Do you still notice me? Oh, well, of course I do. So I think Sometimes we need to... Sometimes we men just howl in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. But no. But anyway... Let's pray that God will help us to speak words of affirmation, appreciation to one another and to people we work with and to people that we know, because we all need an encouraging word. That's right. Number eight. Oh, this is so true. If your mate is breathing, they will eventually, sooner or later, offend you. Just, (laughs) Just take it to the bank. Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, I am warning you, if another believer sins, rebuke him. Then if he repents, forgive him. Even if he wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, forgive him. So, whether you're at work, whether you're at church, or whether you're with your spouse, sooner or later, all those folks are going to let you down, they're going to have a bad day, and you're going to get offended. You know, and it's like, what do we do when our mate offends us? Yeah, or your friends. Have you ever had best friends? And you parted ways because, oh, what do we do? Well, I think there's a great quote here in Desire of Ages, and then we'll talk about it. It's Desire of Ages 353. It says, the spirit that is kept gentle under provocation, that means irritation or somebody provokes you, will speak more effectively in favor of the truth than will any argument, however forcible. So you can be right, but have the wrong spirit and be dead wrong, right? And that's self-control that comes in. I love that the Holy Spirit brings gifts and fruits with him. Love, peace, joy, gentleness, meekness, kindness, Long-suffering, self-control, that's the one I always remember, self-control. So to be able, when annoyed, irritable, to just swallow those words and pray for grace, wow, what a difference it would make in our relationships. Now, what happens when a person's been hurt so badly they just can't get over it? What do we do? This is an important question, because if Patrick hurts me and I can't get over it, Is he going to be able to help me get over it, even though after he's apologized? Not really. I mean, he can try his best not to repeat the behaviors that hurt me so deeply, but only Jesus can really heal that wound. We often expect our spouse or our loved one to be able to fix us. Nobody can fix you. I can't fix Patrick. He can't fix me. We can help each other, encourage each other. We can do a whole lot to help each other heal a wound. But Jesus is the only person who can really heal a deep wound. Don't you agree? 
And so that's why we have to be careful. I cannot put Patrick in a place where he is my all my happiness and all my everything. And then when he lets me down, I'm devastated. That's too much to put on anyone. Instead, I have to say, oh, Lord, give me what I need. Fulfill me completely so then I have something to give. And there can be this reciprocal relationship. But I have to get it in order to be a whole person. A lot of times the world and songs, you know, especially country and Western songs, it's sort of like half a heart and half a heart come together and make a whole heart. That doesn't work. We need to be a whole person. In other words, standing alone with those lovely characteristics and gifts and happiness before we can come together with someone else. This is good, though, because you know that sooner or later your spouse is going to let you down. Yes. And so you're going to have to get a grip and accept the fact that we are human and sometimes it's going to happen. You can't just be so devastated. You've got to know ahead of time, okay, this is coming. And then you're going to have to tell yourself, okay, what am I going to do when this happens? Am I going to go away and say, well, my spouse doesn't love me and I might as well just give up? No, he made a mistake. They made a mistake. And so we're going to have to forgive. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, it's not the person that makes mistakes that bothered him. It was the person that didn't learn from their mistakes. When we've hurt when each we other, devastate one yeah, when we devastate each other, we can learn from that and we can learn not to do that again. That didn't work <laughs> and move on to something better. Amen. And you know, maybe it's better to say, other than get a grip, it's better to say, God, please get a grip on me. You know, a healing touch on me so that I really can. Forgiveness is a gift from God. You know, human forgiveness is like this. Okay, I forgive you. Don't let it happen again, and I'll never forget. That's human forgiveness. Spiritual or holy forgiveness is, oh, I stand at the foot of the cross. I see how much Jesus did for me, and he forgave me. Oh, Lord, give me that same forgiveness for others. And that spiritual forgiveness is when we recognize how much he's done for me and we accept that beautiful gift into ourselves. Mm-hmm. Number nine, don't use faith, the Bible, or God as a hammer. Ooh. Because, well, if even if your spouse is a believer or a non-believer, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So we all feel kind of condemned. So we don't need anybody else condemning us because we already have that going on, you know. That's right. We have enough guilt. The voices in your head are not positive, are they? When you get up in the morning, ladies, do you look in the mirror and say, wow, I am gorgeous. Anybody here? (laughs) Wow, what a figure. (laughs) Look at that hair. Isn't that sad to say that we don't at all? We're critical. Oh, we're so critical of ourselves, right? Now, we might be blessed to be married to people who say, I could say that for you, but that's not how we hear other words in our head. So if we're critical toward ourselves, and I was just talking about looks, but if I tend to be painfully aware of my shortcomings, which I believe we are, why would I want to do that to someone else? Why would I want to not only beat myself, but beat others up? I want to come to the place where I accept God's beautiful grace for me and recognize that he created me out of all those thousands of sperm. It could have been someone totally different. God chose you to be born. He chose me to be born. And we are personalities that are not quite like anybody else. He adores us. There's nobody else he'd want to replace us with. We are precious to him. 
And when we see our value at the cross, then we begin to see the value in others. And the last one is the greatest of all the chapters in the New Testament, especially probably in the Bible, is 1 Corinthians 13. Let love be your guidepost. Love is patient and love is kind, not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and keeps no record of when it has been wrong. Wow. And you know That's... what? There, we have counsel to that we should read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 every day. Every day yeah. And I tell you, if I'm frustrated with my husband and I read 1 Corinthians 13, right away I see where the problem lies in my own heart. Regardless of what he's done or said, I recognize love is kind and patient, is long-suffering. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm not that long-suffering. Amen. A gentle, watch yourself, <laughs> gentle, meek, you know, I like to, you know, set him straight sometimes. And that's not the right spirit. So 1 Corinthians 13 would be a blessing for us all to read every day in every kind of relationship. All right. Our last segment is the four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse. <laughs> All right. I thought that was interesting. You know, for those of you listening, this is Daniel and Revelation or prophetic terminology. Mm. And so applying it to marriage is a little humorous. Yeah. A bad marriage or an unhappy relationship can have detrimental effects on your health, while a good one can protect you from disease and speedy recovery. Sociologist Linda Waite, PhD, says marriage is sort of like a preserver or a seatbelt. We can put it exactly in the same category as eating a good diet, getting exercise, and not smoking. John Gottman, PhD, a well-respected psychologist and marriage researcher, reports that an unhappy marriage can increase your chances of becoming ill by 35% and take four years off of your life. He believes working on your marriage every day will do more for your health and longevity than working out at a health club. And back to statistics, you should see the statistics on how a happy marriage versus an unhappy one makes a difference in how long you live. It's, it's incredible. Okay, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is number one is criticism. Criticism involves attacking your partner's personality or character rather than focusing on the specific behavior that bothers you. It is healthy to air disagreements, but not to attack your spouse's personality or character in the process. Mm -hmm. This is the difference between saying, I am frustrated you didn't take out the trash, and saying, I can't believe you didn't take out the trash again. You see the difference between the two? You're so irresponsible. No, especially that. In general, women are more likely to pull this horseman into conflict. So it is true, ladies, we do tend to be Sometimes, again, there's exceptions. These marriage books who put men in one category, women in another, it really doesn't work. It's a lot about personality. However, there are some stereotypes or there are some genderizing that happens that can be quite accurate. Amen. And one is that oftentimes we can be more creative with our words. Amen. I do believe that I am probably better at being critical to Patrick than he is at me. I think I'm probably much more resourceful in the negative ways. So I can insinuate things that are character assassinations. So, so let's talk about it. 
there's criticism, but there's also constructive criticism. So what right. is the difference between the two? Give me a definition of constructive criticism. Let's say I don't take out the trash like I should. So give me some constructive way to do that. How about, can we use your clothes as an example? No, 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 it's the trash. I'd rather use your clothes. No, the trash, <laughs> the trash. Well, I'll be respectful and use the trash, but I'd rather uh, use your clothes. Oh, okay, but right, okay, okay. I take out My house very neat out. about his clothes. It's just where he puts them. I take, but the, anyway. I take the trash out faithfully. He does. Faithfully. So now that we got that out of the way, back to his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so he has a tendency to put his clothes over chairs or over Well, I don't want them to wrinkle too bad. Things <laughs> instead of putting them away. So there can be three pairs of jeans with three belts, you know, a belt in each pair, neatly three steps away from where they get folded. Well, it takes a lot of effort to hang so, those babies I up. have <laughs> nagged. All of us men are in the same bracket. I see them all in. I have <laughs> nagged. I have threatened. I've coerced. I have begged. I have been very frustrated. This is what I have found works. As I say, I've got this to do. It actually, it worked. I did it yesterday. I, know. I said, sweetheart, could you unpack your suitcase and put your clothes away? Put the jeans in where they go. And I mean, I was specific. I got the suitcase And unpacked. I said, and can you put your suitcase away? That way we'll be all ready for Sabbath. And then we can do our other chores. Now, I like it if he says, okay, I will. He doesn't usually do that, which used to annoy me. Because he told me, he's, the reason I don't say that is if I get distracted and I don't do it, I don't, don't want to promise tell, something that wanna, I can't follow don't through. Don't want to tell a fib. I'm like, well, if you promise, then maybe you, but anyway. So... <laughs> I came home and we got home about the same time, just before Sabbath. And he had been help bearing a loved one. So he was very distraught. And I thought, I'm not even going to look. I don't think he did the suitcase, but he has a good reason for sure. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have much time to do anything either. And we sat down and I said, honey, you probably didn't get around to your suitcase. But he said, no, actually, I got it all unpacked. I said, oh, you did? He said, yes. I said, did you put the suitcase away? He said, yeah, I did. And I was like, wow. So I have found... It just filled her love tank right up. It just made me happy. I've tried different things, doing it all for him. Happy and, wife, and happy And choosing life. not to be annoyed, <laughs> just doing it. And that's better just to do it for him than to cause Amen. strife in the home. However, I can become really resentful after a while about that. So I found if I just am cheerful and I just say, honey... Could you take your belt off those three pairs of jeans? And could you, and I have to be careful in my tone so that he knows I'm being sweet. And do you mind folding those up and putting those away or putting them in the dirty clothes? And he'll say, okay, and then he'll do it. And I'm like, well, that worked. So I've learned not to be annoyed that he doesn't just think of it when he takes them off. Honey, thank you for letting me use you as an example. I hope uh, that was okay. okay. I'm sure he has ones about me. I can't imagine what, but I'm sure he does. But we try to use practical things because we're all very similar. And I all right, love, let's go to number two. Sweetheart. I love to be in love, and so I don't like to have conflict. Okay, number two, contempt. All right. Contempt is one step from criticism and involves tearing down or being insulting toward your partner. Contempt is an open sign of disrespect. Examples of contempt include putting down your spouse, rolling your eyes, or sneering or tearing down the other person with so-called humor. And again, like we said earlier, men desperately need respect and women desperately need love. And so when my wife is rolling her eyes or putting me down, that really is hurtful because it just shows disrespect. And another way couples do it, 
We can tease in front of other people in a derogatory manner to our spouse, and that's very hurtful. That's very disrespectful to make fun of. Now, I might have teasingly talked about the pants or whatever, but it's a true situation of how we can have habits that annoy one another. But if I were to, in a group of people, say, are you kidding me? And you know what else he does? Or I make insinuations or snide remarks about him. That's very, very hurtful. My love tank would just dry right up. That's true. But there have been times when we've had conversations when I have rolled my eyes or sighed loudly or acted. I might as well say you're an idiot. It's really how you're, with your body language, conveying that kind of a message that my husband has stopped me and said, you know what? I find that so disrespectful. It really does hurt my feelings. I'll never forget the first time he did that. We'd read the book, Love and Respect by Egriches. And we made a pact. We'd tell each other because sometimes, see, he's not the type. He won't always tell me. He'll kind of hold it in for a long time until he doesn't. But you know, you take a lot more than I do. I tend to address it right away. If he does something that annoys me, I tell him right then, you know, that really, you know, I'll, if he did that to me all the time, oh my, I'm so glad he doesn't. But anyway, so he has a tendency not to say anything. So we read the book. I was really convicted. I said, Pat, promise me that you will tell me if I have an expression or a manner in which I put you down in any way. I adore you. I love you. I never want to communicate disrespect. He said, okay. So I'd like to say it was years later, but no, several weeks later, something happened where I said and did something. I wish I could remember because it might be edifying to all of you. And he said, you know, Tammy, when you just did that and the way you did that with your body language and what you said, that really hurt my feelings. That really felt disrespectful. I almost laughed. You guys be proud of me. I didn't because that would have been really rude. Because I found it humorous. I'd never heard my husband say that hurt my feelings. Men don't usually talk like that. But because of the book, we were kind of tuned up into that language. So he said, no, that's the kind of thing that hurts my feelings. So I almost laughed because I wasn't used to him saying that, but I didn't. I stopped dead still and I said, what exactly did I do? So he repeated it. I said, you know what? First of all, I'm very sorry. Number two, thank you for telling me, and I will try never to do that again. And he said, thank you. And that was it. And I have not done that again. So the better we can communicate, because see, what I define as disrespect may be totally different than what he sees. I could be doing other things and vice versa. What he thinks is loving or unloving may be very different. He can do something. I feel very unloved by that. And if we're not communicating, then we can be tracking on each other's heart and not even knowing it. So the more that we can communicate, and I don't mean every little thing, you know, tearing each other apart and, oh, did that hurt me? You know, and I don't think we're there. But Well, I've told the, her not, not to sweat the small stuff, but she doesn't like that. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. If it's in the middle of trying to get something done and he says, don't sweat the small stuff, yeah, that doesn't go over well. Yeah, Or get a grip to that one either. But I think if we say to each other, you know, when you say that, it makes me feel this way. I think it's a great way of communicating. Yeah. All right, let's look at the third one. Defensiveness. Adopting a defensive stance in the middle of conflict may be a natural response, but does not help the relationship. When a person is defensive, he or she often experiences a great deal of tension and has difficulty tuning into what is being said. 
denying responsibility, making excuses, or meeting one complaint with another are all examples of defensiveness. So we talked about that today, earlier, about my friend who said, I want to talk to you, may not be all that pleasant. I'm just really struggling with some things. I don't want to cause an argument, but can you just lay here and listen to me, remember? And then she shared her concerns, and he became very defensive. He just wasn't ready for that. So that can happen. At the best of times, we can become defensive because it's hurtful. Constructive feedback can be hurtful, right? Do we need to share constructive feedback or constructive criticism? We do. We do. But I tell you, timing and the way in which you do it, the words you choose, and then also trying to build the person up in the middle of it, meaning I don't want to hurt you. This is not meant to make you feel bad. I'm not sharing this to try to punish you. I'm sharing this because I need you to know my heart. Those kinds of words when you're sharing something that's can be very hurtful with someone are helpful. I think, you know, being critical or defensiveness or whatever, I think we can handle that a lot better if our spouse has gotten into the habit of giving us four or five positive compliments before they give us the negative thing that they need us to do. So like we talked about earlier, if we're building each other up throughout the day, again, not flattery to manipulate, but if I'm speaking out loud the things I appreciate about you, when I do have an occasional thing that is annoying or offensive, you're going to be much more able to handle it. But if everything I ever say to you is constructive feedback or criticism, that's going to get old. That's very true. Because we all need, a man needs to feel like he's the head of his house, he's the house band holding everything together, protector of the relationship, the one that we turn to for our strength, we turn to each other for strength, right? And if he can never do anything right, ladies, would he not give up? Yeah. It's just like the true story, and maybe some of you have heard this before, so forgive me, but it's oh, it's so true. This lady came from a very functional family, very middle class. Her dad was a hard worker, made good money, and then she married this guy that was a hard worker, but he was struggling, and he got laid off, and they got behind on their electricity bill, and one day it happened. They came and they cut the power off because the bill wasn't paid. Now, this lady could have told herself a story and said, you know what? My father would have never have let this happen. My father was a hard worker. If he had to work three jobs, he would have never let this happen. And here my husband can't even pay the electric bill. And she could have just lit into him. That was the Hitler voice. (laughs) That was the Hitler side. But there was another side, and it was the side of Jesus' side, saying, listen, you know that your husband is a hard worker, and you know that he loves you, and he's doing everything that he can right now. This was during a time in the United States history where times were tough. And so she decided, you know what? I love my husband. And so when he came home, he came in the front door, and he said, Honey, why is that so dark in here? And you've got a candlelight dinner for us. And she said, Yes, it's just for you, a candlelight dinner. And he thought, Wow, this is neat. You know, Went into the bathroom, flipped on the switch to wash his hands. 
guess what? Then he realized what was happening. Doesn't take long to figure it out, right? And instead, he comes to the table with his head low, and he's feeling bad, you know? And she touched his hand, and she said, Honey, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. You'll get the job you just applied for. It's going to be fine, whatever. And we're going to be okay. And you know what? They were okay. But when he was down, she was up. There's going to come a time where she is down. And what do you think he's going to do when she is down? I guarantee you, when she has her down moment, he's going to be there putting his arm around her and say, Honey, you remember when we made it, you know, 10 years ago? We're going to make it this time. And years later, when he shared that story, he said he never loved his wife more than at that moment. See, she could have devastated Mm -hmm. him. She could have trashed him, you know, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. And there have been times in my life where I've been kind of down, and my wife is there for me. She's there. She puts her arms, and she's just there to love me, you know. And then there's been times she's down, and she needs a hug. And I'm not a big hugger. But when I know she needs a hug, I go give her a hug. Because that's what she needs, see? It's not what I need, it's what she needs. And I need to do it for her, even though I don't necessarily feel like it. And so my love language is acts of service. I like it when she gets up on Sunday mornings and fixes me a nice breakfast, you know. Oh, that just fills my love tank up. And her love language is touch. She loves it when I touch her and stroke her and and, you know, rubber shoulders and, you know. Anyway. That, yeah. So everybody has different, we all have different love languages, and there are mainly five or four. Five love languages. Five love languages. Touch, acts of service. Words of affirmation. Wor- words, because, you know, some people, you can. And we share that one. Yeah. That's our secondary one. Yeah. We both are words of affirmation. Yeah. But you can, you can heal or kill people with words, right? Gifts. Gifts. You know, some people's love tank, you give them a gift, I mean, their love tank just And it's not about the money, it's the thoughtfulness of bringing home the card or the little flower or a little present makes me know, oh, he was thinking of me or she was thinking of me. And the fifth one is quality time. I'm so glad you remembered that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. quality time. I know my wife loves me when she spends time with me, you know, quality time. Yeah. Now, everybody likes all of them, but you have a primary one or two, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's important to know what your spouse's is, and you do for them what they love, not necessarily what you like. It's natural when we feel in love to do those things for each other that we like to have done, but it's even better. Same with your children, grandchildren. You get to know what it is that makes their little hearts sing, and then you speak to them in that language. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your wonderful love, and thank you, Lord, for our spouses, our soulmates. We thank you for your love, and Pray that you'll help us to use these tools to bless others because we know there's others out here in Misaki County and Wexford County that could really use these tools. And Father, we also want to pray for those who aren't married but have relationships with children, grandchildren, coworkers, mm-hmm. friends, and all of these tools can be used to bless all of our relationships. And we just pray more than anything that you would give us the precious Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we can have the strength and the desire to put self aside and to call upon you when we're in stressful situations. Thank you for loving us and for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (laughs) 
You've been listening to Pastor Pat Milligan and his wife, Tammy. Pastor Pat is former pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist churches and is now ministering in the Oklahoma Conference. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit a Seventh-day Adventist church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.